0: Organizational factors, do so you think about like the environment that they're operating within? What challenges, what barriers, what written policies and procedures, what unwritten rules and unspoken interactions are prohibiting this from happening?
1: Hey Goal Achievers, welcome to Elite Achievement, your go-to podcast for service-based business owners who want to achieve their goals and grow their businesses. Hear inspiring stories from other business owners, learn goal achievement strategies, and overcome the challenges you face when growing your business. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to help you achieve your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve. According to the Harvard Business Review, research has shown that firms with more women and senior positions are more profitable, more socially responsible, and provide safer, higher quality customer experiences. Today's episode will inspire you to think about the organization you are building or leading. Are you creating an environment where women can thrive? I invited my client who has over a decade of experience in the male-dominated financial services industry and her doctoral degree in organizational change and leadership to share her research findings and experiences as a director of the West Texas offices. Join us to learn why there are less than 5% of women in senior level leadership roles in the financial services industry and what you, as a leader, can do to create a culture where women feel accepted. Welcome,
0: Dr. Daryl Klump. Thanks so much for having me, Kristen.
1: I'm so excited for this conversation, Daryl. I know you are a dedicated listener to elite achievement. So I hope that this feels as energizing and exciting for you to now be a guest on the show as it is for me to get to have this conversation with you.
0: Oh my gosh, such an honor. I'm so excited.
1: Well, let's start with understanding a bit more about your career and education path. So tell us a bit more about how you got to where you are today, the director of the West Texas offices.
0: What a fun story. So I think if any of my friends from high school were to listen to this, they would be like, what? She's doing what? So I actually grew up in... Seattle and went to college in New York to study music. And so, logically, after my undergrad, I started working in the nonprofit sector. All along, I always knew that I wanted to do something that was for the betterment of other people. And so, nonprofit was the most obvious answer after I determined that I was not cut out to be a music educator. And so, I loved the work that I did in the nonprofit space, but it truly is nonprofit. And at some point, I reached a breaking point where I needed to find something that was going to also take care of my needs in my life. So that's when I met Northwestern Mutual through a good friend who was an assistant to a managing director, and they had an open position as receptionist. And so I started at the front desk. I was probably a really terrible receptionist, (laughs) not the most outgoing, especially at that point in my career but as i worked there i got to know the people and absolutely fell in love with the people that i worked with they were high energy motivated and they just really genuinely seemed to enjoy what they do so i started learning a little bit more about what does financial planning even mean and came to the realization that this is exactly aligned with all the things that i want it just doesn't look how i thought it was going to and so i dove in i worked really hard I got a promotion. I got every license that I could, Series 7, 66, 24, CFP, and fell in love with the work of helping people align their actions and their finances with what their goals are. And so throughout this process, I start to notice like, hey, this industry is like mostly dudes. (laughs) And I know I have a dude's name, but I'm very much not a dude. I kind of (laughs) stand out. And so I started to wonder why that is. And I got really curious about that. And especially at the leadership level, and it's not any one particular company, it's the entire industry. At the time that I did my research, it was 91% of financial advisors were male, white male. Wow! Even if you Google financial advisor, you're just going to get a bunch of pictures of white dudes, which is great. I love white dudes. I'm married to a white dude, but... It was strange to me that there just aren't that many women, especially at the leadership levels. And so I went to this performance improvement conference for the International Society of Performance Improvement, where I met this guy named Jim Hill that owns a company in San Francisco that helps other companies evolve, especially on the technology side. So I was asking him about his journey, how he got to where he was, and he told me about this organizational change program at the University of Southern California, And I knew right then that is what I wanted to do. And so I researched it and applied for this doctoral program while I was working and got in and got to learn from some of the world's best experts on how do you take an organization in its current state and help it evolve into a different state? I thought, what if I could apply these learnings and this research to the financial industry so we could have more women in leadership and not because that's like a Nice idea, or because I I think of course equality is important, but it actually makes businesses better. It drives revenue. And and in, in my research, I learned there is hard data that supports that having more women in leadership makes a company more financially sound and productive. And I was like, great, there's alignment there. And so I finished, did my research, my dissertation on why there aren't more women in leadership, and wrote this big, long, technical dissertation, realized no one but my dissertation chair was ever going to read it, and decided, why don't I turn this into a book? And so that's where I'm at today.
1: What an incredible story. So thank you so much for sharing your background. And there are a lot of different questions that come to my mind as you share that background. One is I'm wondering, so based on all your research that you've done, why do you think there aren't more women in the industry?
0: That's a great question. And if you actually go back historically, think like early 1900s, very traditional gender roles. Men would go to work, women raise children, and then comes World War I. And a lot of our men get drafted but we have all these businesses and organizations that still need to run. And so that's where you see a massive entrance of women into the workforce, especially within the financial industry, mostly bank tellers, more maybe administrative positions, not so much leadership positions, but those organizations needed to run and the women stepped up and that was their entrance into the workforce. And so of course you have these traditional gender roles and so then the workforce really gets set up for one group of people right Mm -hmm. men who have full support at home when it comes to the family front so they can be there early they can work long hours and we publicize and praise a lot of these kind of male oriented characteristics think aggression an aggressive man is a successful man he's someone who goes after what he wants The men that rise through the ranks of leadership, you know, they're assertive. And then you start to take some of these same characteristics that led to their success, apply them in the context of a woman. And it feels wonky. It feels weird. Like, oh, that woman's so aggressive. Right. And so I think for a long time, people have just been conditioned because of our biology and how the human population is, you know, furthered men do this, women do that. And so as we evolved, as things change and women get more into the workforce and want to have careers on top of having families, you're just gonna rub against those things that have been ingrained for thousands of years and then it's hard. And so why would a woman want to try to do all the things that have to be done at work and at home without any kind of changes or accommodations, right? So to get into leadership, you have to get into the workforce and then work your way up. And so I think there's just been some historical and societal barriers that have made that difficult. Now, it's 2023. We've come a really long way. uh, But some of those things, although invisible, still exist today and impact the things that women are trying to do.
1: That makes a lot of sense. It's really hard to undo a lot of history and those perceptions that we have. And, you know, you you had mentioned that there's this kind of like rub between the roles women have at home and women have at work. So do you have any personal perspectives or beliefs
0: around work-life balance? I do. I think work-life balance is kind of a farce. You can create your own version of balance, but it's probably going to look like seasons of imbalance in some way, shape or form. I think about when I had my first daughter, that was a season of imbalance because my personal life obviously had to take precedence. My professional life got no attention for literally 12 weeks. And now I'm in a a very different season where probably spending more time building my business, focusing on driving revenue, things like that. And so if you're trying to have all the things all the time, all at once, there's literally not enough hours in a day, but you can have the things that you want in different seasons. I think if you ask for help, Mm. I have to have a lot of help and a lot of support. I have an amazing nanny that runs my life. I have staff members, team members in my office that allow me to function. Even things like someone who helps me clean my house, right? I don't have the energy nor the desire to do everything myself. And so I just look for ways and places that I can outsource and and find help in all the things I need to get done.
1: And I know for some women asking for that help can be a really big challenge. Was that difficult for you or was that a natural, this needs to happen. I don't get to make a decision around this. I have to get the help.
0: I knew I would need help become when I became a mom. I would need help because my husband travels for work and I would need the extra support at home. So that decision to go the nanny route versus daycare. That was not a difficult decision. I knew that I needed it. I think sometimes in the work context, it took me a while to learn where you can ask for help, what you can delegate. It's not that I didn't want to, but I was stuck in the old ways of thinking, well, I'm the one that does this. And, you know, that's not a part of so and so's job. And learning to think a little broader, bigger picture and ask for help in more creative ways has made my life more feasible and sustainable.
1: Well, I think one thing that's really important for us to point out to your listeners is that so much of your work is truly running a business. It is very entrepreneurial. I remember when I worked before starting my coaching business, I was in the financial services industry and I honestly had no idea how entrepreneurial it was. Everyone is truly a business owner. So do you think that your work as a business owner is even more intense and requires even more help than maybe someone who's a traditional employee.
0: Yeah, it is. There's an added level of pressure at that point because if you let go of the things and the activities that drive revenue and bring in new revenue because you've got a lot more on your home plate that particular week, then you know that's gonna impact your income. And that's just a whole nother level of responsibility and opportunity.
1: Hmm, That's a great way to look at it is so often our mind, our brain goes to the negativity bias. Oh, it's a whole new level of responsibility. I love how you bring up the opportunity aspect. And I'm curious, why do you think women fall short of expressing their full potential?
0: So this was a big part of my research, just sitting here surrounded by other incredible women in this industry and just Seeing the results of the people at senior executive leadership, less than five percent at that time were women in the financial industry. It was a number that blew my mind. And I'm like, I'm surrounded by these talented, intelligent, extremely hardworking women. What is going on? And so, in the in the doctoral program that I went through, the framework that I use to pose my questions and conduct my research is from Clark and Estes, and it's called turning research into results. And what it does is it helps you frame your research questions and how you collect data into, okay, is this business problem because an individual is lacking knowledge? Like they don't know how? Is it because they're lacking motivation? They don't want to? Or is it an organizational level or societal level barrier that is creating problems or challenges for this particular individual. And that's why we're not getting the results that we want. So I framed all of my research through that lens. Okay, is it that women in the financial industry don't know how to get into leadership? Well, a little bit, because sometimes the path to leadership is seemingly arbitrary and there's different standards and it's not always extremely clear. Okay, so maybe that's a little bit of the problem, but let's just say in general, yes we know what it takes to get into leadership. Okay, so then is a motivation problem? Do they not want to? Do they not believe they can? Are they not tracking their progress correctly? Those are all motivational factors. Well, when i tested the levels of self-efficacy among the women at the firms that i researched, the answer was resoundingly no. They have the self-efficacy and believe that they are capable of doing it. So i'm like, okay, it's not a knowledge problem. It's not a motivation problem. What's left? Ah, organizational factors. So you think about like the environment that they're operating within, what challenges, what barriers, what written policies and procedures, what unwritten rules and unspoken interactions are prohibiting this from happening. So that's where the majority of my research focused.
1: Tell us a little bit more about some of those societal barriers. What were some of those unspoken rules that you found that were keeping more women from rising in the ranks?
0: So some of it comes back to you think about really negative things that impact and make a culture literally feel unsafe for a woman. And then some of it is much more nuanced. Think about how feedback gets delivered. The big ones, the obvious things, the me too's. Yes, you shouldn't sexually harass a woman ever and definitely not in the workplace. That's obvious. I'm not going to spend any time there because that really wasn't most of what I found. A lot of what I found was far more subtle, far more gray. So I'll focus on the feedback piece. A lot of the women that I spoke to knew what they wanted to do, but were struggling with what they needed to change, do differently, keep doing to get where they wanted to go. They're like, my generally male leader doesn't give me feedback. He tells me, I'm doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm looking for specific, concrete, tactical feedback and I'm not getting it. Okay, well, why do you think you're not getting that? And sometimes it literally boiled down to these men were afraid to give feedback because they were afraid of making these women cry. That was their fear. Wow!
1: Yes, afraid of some tears.
0: Afraid of some tears. Uh, women cry for all kinds of reason, and also I think I've at this point in my career had more men cry in my office than women. So maybe some rebranding to do around yeah. tears. Yeah. And I remember
1: hearing at one point in time that a lot of times women will cry because they're truly frustrated with themselves. So it's not even about the feedback that they're getting. It's that we often hold ourselves to such a high standard and we're disappointed in ourselves, which I thought was an interesting
0: way to look at that scenario. It's almost like a way that perfectionism can show up for some women as they think about their progress along the way of achieving their goals.
1: Are you tired of setting goals that you never achieve? Do you want to learn how to set realistic and achievable goals that will take your business or career to new heights and come up with a plan to actually reach them? If you are a business owner or leader in your company that has been struggling with taking your success to the next level, you have to check out my new course launching in December called the Goal Setting Success Course. Learn how to set effective goals create a clear action plan, and achieve success in multiple areas of your life. I've spent years coaching business owners and leaders to identify their strengths and weaknesses, overcome obstacles, and stay motivated to achieve their goals, and I can do the same for you. Don't let another year pass you by without achieving the success you deserve. Sign up for the Goal Setting Success Course Waitlist to be the first to know when it launches, and get an exclusive discount and start achieving your goals and reaching your highest potential. Well, the feedback piece is interesting. And I want to transition and talk a bit more about the book because that came up in your book. So I want to get to that in a second. Before we talk more about feedback and how to actually give feedback, I'm curious, what inspired you to write your book, Growing Leaders?
0: That's a great question because I am not a great writer, so I don't know why I ever set out to write a book, but I did want to deliver a message to a much wider population than I would have otherwise, and I also love to read. And so I thought, what if I could take all of this, again, very technical, very dry, but very meaningful learnings that I'm gathering throughout my research process and share them on a broader scale in order to make a much larger impact. And the reason I chose to do it in a fable story was because I wanted it to be approachable and feel very realistic. So this book is an opportunity for anyone who reads it to walk in the shoes of a fictional character named Emily St. James. And while her experience is not representative of every woman, obviously that would be impossible to capture, right? Not every woman is a mom. Not every woman is married, and that's great. We should celebrate that. But I tried to pick the cross-section of themes that showed up in the data as frequently as possible and boil them down into this one character. And can we follow her throughout her professional career for a year and see how she encounters these barriers and how she overcomes them? So I just thought if I wrote it in a story format, maybe more people would read it.
1: Well, I felt so VIP because I had a chance to get a copy before the book is even produced. So I I got to read like the draft version. And I remember, Daryl, I started reading it when I was at uh, an airport lounge. I've been in a lot of airports lately. And I couldn't wait to get back on my flight home to find out what happens with Emily and her colleague Brad. And it was a, a very engaging story. And as we were talking about giving feedback, That was one of the challenges is in the story, Brad actually waits until Emily's performance review to deliver feedback. And I'm thinking for all of our business owners that are listening, how important is it for leaders and business owners are absolutely leaders of their team? How important is it for leaders to deliver feedback right away, right when something happens versus waiting for a review? And then the second part of my question is what tips do you have for conducting performance reviews?
0: So I think in any relationship, business or personal, the timing of feedback matters, the methodology of the feedback matters, and relationship with feedback really matters. So when I think about timing, in the heat of the moment is the wrong time. I cannot think of a single heated email I've ever sent and been glad afterwards that I sent it but also waiting until a review, even if it's a quarterly review, is probably too long because you're gonna lose out on the in-the-moment correction that you could truly capitalize on. So if you're only doing annual reviews, I don't think any most people are doing annual performance reviews anymore, but if you are, that's, that's far too long to go to wait for corrective feedback. Methodology, too, is very important to me. I don't send a text or an email when I have feedback that I want to deliver. That's delivered in a conversation. So I get the body language, I get the reactions. I see, okay, is this person surprised by this feedback? And if so, I wanna dig into that. I might follow up a conversation with a, a written documentation form just so everyone's on the same page. But if your team member does something and you just blow up over them over text message, That's a terrible way to deliver feedback. And it's a terrible way to receive feedback too. So, and then the third piece I think is really important is relationship. If someone knows that you care about them and you care about their success, and there's that baseline level of safety within the relationship, it's going to be much easier to receive feedback, positive or negative. And that brings up another good point You cannot err on the side of only one or the other. If all you ever give is positive feedback, then you're just a professional hype girl. And no one's ever going to get any better because of their relationship with you. If all you ever do is give negative feedback, then you're just going to piss people off.
1: You know, that takes me back to some of my early days as a coach. And I've been coaching financial advisors since 2009. So I've had a lot of coaching conversations. And in my early days, I would have some advisors look at me and say, do I ever do anything right? You never point out anything good. I thought, oh my goodness, I've over-rotated because I I had gotten feedback that I'm too positive and, you know, things might come across as too shallow. And so I thought, okay, I've got to be this like rigid, direct coach. And I'm like, oh, honestly, I have to find a blend of both the positive, what's going well, and then where are those areas of opportunity and, and what needs to change. So I see that feedback showing up in a coaching relationship as well.
0: It's a difficult balance to strike for sure. Yeah. And none of us are perfect. That is for sure.
1: Okay. So really important to deliver feedback, not in the heat of the moment, but also not wait. And then I like that framework that you help us think about what method are we delivering feedback and how is our relationship as it relates to feedback. In your book, you state that women are already empowered and that what we need now is the right environment. So help us understand what is the right environment for us as business owners, as leaders to create that allow, I would say, not only women, but also men
0: to thrive. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to why I put that statement. To me, this is a very central theme to the work that I'm doing in this space. So it all, it all started when I was actually interviewing a student from West Texas A&M University who was a soil science major. I go to participate in these mock interviews, and sometimes we find someone that might be a great fit for our firm, and other times it's just a great conversation. This was a great conversation with someone who is extremely passionate about the content of what they do. So this woman, she's studying soil science, which I know nothing about, so I'm trying to pretend to interview her, making up questions as I go along. And she gets on this topic of this seed that used to grow really well in Europe. And then when it was brought over to West Texas, they just couldn't get it to take to the soil. And she's wrapping her mind around this problem. What is going on? Why isn't this seed growing? It, it produces great results in Europe. And then we put it over here and it's not working. Turns out it was a problem with the soil. The pH balance was off or some other scientific something or other. So they adjusted the pH balance of the soil and the seed thrived. And honestly, at that point, I pretty much checked out of the interview because I had this aha moment of, oh my God, this is what's happening in the financial industry. You have this perfect seed of these women who are talented and know what they're doing and want to do it. And it's just not coming to fruition. We need to fix the soil. So how do you fix the soil? I really think it's a two-pronged approach. First, I would encourage you to gather some data. The tools I built to collect data for conducting my dissertation research were really helpful in not just going off of what I thought the problem was, but letting the problem speak and arise from the data that I found. So whether that's a survey or engaging the services of an outside firm that does that type of work or research, that would be a really great place to start because If you're at the top and you're not the one working down in the weeds, you may not be as aware of what's actually going on. So get some data if you can, but from there, you're going to look two-pronged. One, you're going to look at your policies, your procedures, what says on paper how your company should run and what your culture should be. And then you're going to look at the actual interactions. Someone once said that culture is truly just the total combination of every conversation had within your organization each day so you're going to look at how things are actually played out and look for where are we creating barriers obviously completely unintentionally that are making it harder for women to get in the leadership and ultimately are holding us back from the level of revenue and productivity that we could be at if we figured this out okay So let's give some examples here. When you think about written policies and procedures, what's your maternity leave policy? Do you have one? Are there any dollars associated with it? That's a really common one that creates a huge barrier for women. When you think about other things that are on paper, are you holding meetings at times that make it challenging for parents, not even just moms, although we all know moms tend to carry more of the water are you making it difficult for parents purely by when you're starting your meetings when you think about the softer side of things how how things are actually playing out how does a woman feel when she participates in a in a specific meeting right does she feel included is she engaged is she participating or is she the only one does she feel like an outsider I've never been in a situation where I feel like an outsider and it inspires me to be my best self, be my most authentic self. So finding ways of collecting data help you assess those two areas can be a really great start for knowing how to shift and evolve your culture towards one that ultimately will be better for your business. I know uh, thinking
1: back to my career, there were times where I felt like an outsider. And so then I want to show up more like the people that are on the inside. So I try to mimic their behaviors or their thoughts. And then then I get the feedback that I'm not vulnerable, I'm not transparent, I'm not myself. I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding, because I'm not, <laughs> not feeling comfortable to be that way. So I think that that's a really great piece of advice you gave our business owners is to truly create some sort of a survey or gather the data and assess, does your culture actually match what it truly is? And in your book, Emily finds out she has to attend a 7.30 a.m. meeting as a mom, and she's pregnant at the time with her, her second baby. So when she questions the start time, you know, her boss isn't very receptive of her questioning that start time. So it makes me wonder how often in business do we keep what works without questioning if it really works? And what requests should leaders truly honor?
0: That is such a great question. In this space, I truly believe that leaders who are more willing to question early and often their assumptions are leaders who, and business owners who ultimately end up being more successful. I have a big problem with people who believe that correlation equals causation. So here's what I mean by that. Correlation. Oh, Jimbo gets up at 5 a.m. and he's the top sales rep. Causation then would say Jimbo is the top sales rep because he gets up at 5 a.m. You don't know what the correlation is there or what the direction of causation is. Maybe he gets up at 5 a.m. because he's naturally successful or wired to be a morning person. And maybe somebody who's not a morning person can be just as successful starting their day at 8 a.m. And so we have all these assumptions that are built into our businesses based on how things have been historically and what has worked for us, because that's what we know. And it's totally natural. So I'm not saying you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but being willing and open to try new things and see how they play out is such a key element to continuing to evolve as business landscapes and industries and economies change constantly, right? So this agile mindset of, huh, okay, we've never done it that way before, but I'm willing to try it and see what it produces, positive or negative,
1: And I wonder if it's fear that gets in our way of challenging those assumptions and being willing to try something new, you know, fear of, well, what if it doesn't work? But then there's also, well, what if it really does work? So I appreciate how you point out leaders who question their assumptions early and often are often more successful.
0: I do think fear is a huge part of it because when you think about building a business, especially if you're managing people who are doing direct sales, consistency is so key, having those habits, not making changes, making sure that it's doing those activities every single day. That's what I talk about with my team all the time. I live and breathe it. So the idea of changing something that has helped support and create those habits is scary because if it then results in less of those habits, it's going to be less revenue for the business. And that's the opposite of what we want. But you still have to be willing to challenge your assumption that it's For example, the meeting start time or what time you start your day that yields success. It might just be correlated. It might not be a causal relationship there.
1: Well, we know Growing Leaders is coming out at the end of this year. So your first book is going to be out. And what impact are you hoping to make with this book?
0: The impact I'm hoping to make with this book is that it will give – a new voice to this conversation that has been going on for quite a while. I think at times this conversation of we need more women in leadership can almost sound a little anti-man. And I absolutely never, ever want that to be my message. A lot of these great companies were built by wonderful men and they wouldn't exist without the work that those men did. So I am grateful for them. I now think if we can evolve and change and learn how to thrive together as women and men in leadership, it will make us that much better. So I'm hoping that it can be an opportunity for men to step into the shoes of Emily St. James, for women who maybe aren't in Emily's situation to step into her shoes, to walk her path, and to shift their thinking and perspective a little differently to where their, their culture, their organization might become a place that is great for women to thrive and be in leadership that will ultimately make their business more productive.
1: Well, I'm excited for you to make that impact. And as we wrap up our conversation today, Daryl, I'm curious to know what is a big goal you are currently working towards in your business?
0: So you sent me this question ahead of time and I hesitated to answer it at first because I didn't wanna put it out there. But if I'm really honest with myself, there's uh, a very prestigious award called the ORS Award that people in leadership can earn at my firm that represents a balance of building a great personal practice and being a great leader. And there's only two women that have done it so far, according to my source. So that is what I have my sights set on.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm so glad you shared that with me because I can't wait to follow up with you in future coaching conversations around tracking towards the ORS Award. Well, Daryl, this has been such a fun conversation today. I think you have... Provided a lot of insight, a lot of research based insight. I know a lot of times when we get on this topic of women in leadership, there are a lot of feelings behind it. You actually have hard data backing up what you shared with us today. So, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and the work that you are doing?
0: So, LinkedIn is a great place to connect always. I also have a website that's almost out of construction. It's www.growingleadhers.com, And that's also my Instagram handle.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your passion behind this very important topic and your research results. And I can't wait for our listeners to go read your book.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Kristen.
1: With that, goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Hey, goal achiever, congrats on investing time in your growth and finishing another episode. If you are left craving more goal achieving and business growing wisdom, Visit my website, kristenburke.com and check out the resources page. Here you will find my popular breakout plan, which has helped hundreds plan, prioritize, and progress towards their goals, vision prompts to help you draft your vision, and a mid-year check-in to help you reconnect and reignite your passion for your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve.